There you are. Glad to see you guys this morning. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Um, on uh, this fine Memorial Day weekend, I guess you are the guys that you don't own boats and you don't have a, uh, a membership to the Thanks. country club and I don't know. No, seriously, we're glad that you're here today. Um, and I, I got to tell you, uh, if you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being here. My name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors. Uh, and I just want to say um, uh, I'm, not, I'm not preaching today. So uh, <laughs> yay for me. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm glad to have a break. I think I've preached since like February or something without a break. That's not true. I've had a couple breaks. Uh, but uh, they've involved other things going on too, so it's not really been rest. Uh, but no, we, uh, I, I got to tell you, we, we're pretty careful. If, you got, if you've been around 24 for very long, uh, you probably know this already, but we're pretty, pretty careful with like who we share, uh, you know, the, 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 the chance to preach with uh, uh, here at our church. And uh, uh, I want to introduce you to a friend of ours. This is David Paterka. And, uh, and, and, and I'm just going to tell you, this for us, this is an honor to have David with us today. Uh, David spends uh, a great deal of his time uh, in Malawi, uh, and he, uh, in fact, I'm going to ask him here in just a minute just to, just to share a little bit about you, how you got into this. There's going to be a lot of people here that don't know you from a hole in the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, uh, but David started a ministry years ago. I'll let him share a little bit about that uh, and what they do uh, there in Malawi. Uh, but you grew up in St. Louis? Yes. Yeah, That's Louis. what I thought. Uh, are you a Cardinals fan by any chance? I'm not a big sports fan in general. Okay, okay. well, good, good. That's a good thing. I, you know, <laughs> sorry for the Cardinals fans, <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, <laughs> but uh, no. So, so uh, but uh, David grew up in St. Louis. So, I mean, you can imagine like how do you make the jump to doing ministry in Malawi? Uh, we'll, we'll let him share a little bit about that. On top of that, I'll make mention of this again later on in service. Uh, he has a documentary uh, that we will be showing tonight here at 6 o'clock. Uh, and so if your microchurch wants to come together or you just want to come and bring somebody, after, after you kind of get to hear uh, what they're doing and, and, and hear him talking about this, I'm just telling you, the stuff they're doing will blow your mind. I mean, blow your mind. Like, it's ministry that uh, people just aren't doing. There's not enough of this ministry happening, even stateside. Uh, and so, uh, really, really excited. David, thank you so much for coming and being with us. She's all yours. Awesome. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Well, good morning. How's everyone? Yeah, fantastic. So, yeah, my name is David. And I just wanted, you know, to start with a thank you uh, so much, you know, to the leadership of the church and, you know, just for you guys. I guess you didn't really have much of a decision in me being here, <laughs> but um, just thank you guys for having me. And I remember it, I, I was here a little over two years ago in February, I believe, of 2016. And I remember as I was talking with the leadership of the church on the phone from St. Louis, um, I think there were three, three different guys um, that, you know, they were, as they were just kind of exploring some possible partnerships with organizations. We were talking on the phone. I remember, um, I believe it was Jay Pennington. <laughs> he, he was talking, and, he, and as we were having a conversation, he just said, you know, something that sticks out to me uh, about the ministry of Win the Saints is not just sometimes when you start to focus on injustice in the world or helping those who are being oppressed or whatever it might be, you know, you begin to kind of make a bigger deal out of the um, the demonstration of the gospel, you know, and just the works of the gospel. And you can sometimes leave behind just the simple proc- proclamation of the gospel. 
And so he said, what I love about what I'm hearing, you know, about the, the ministry of Win the Saints as we're talking is uh, you're really holding on to both of these things and seeing them as equally important, the demonstration of the gospel and the proclamation of the gospel. And uh, so I just, you know, I just loved that. I think you guys are honored to have leadership that understand the importance of both of those things because uh, it's so easy, you know, for a church to maybe just focus on we just need to preach and our actions don't really matter that much or, you know, whatever it might be. There are some cases where it's just like we just got to do stuff and then we sometimes leave behind just the, the message of the gospel. Uh, so just, uh, you know, partner those hand in hand. Uh, it was really cool to hear from Jay, you know, and just the heart of this church. And secondly, I would just love to thank also the Johnson family, <laughs> again, uh, just, you know, Nancy specifically, just for helping to, you know, um, organize, you know, really this church kind of working with Win the Saints and partnering and having me come and even opening up their own home to me, <laughs> or sorry, their own home, yeah, to me. Um, uh, it's just been a blast, you know, spending the last two days with them. I came down for the weekend, got to go kayaking on the river yesterday in the rain, <laughs> which was sweet. <laughs> um, but yeah, they're a phenomenal family. There's not too many, you know, just couples that I know that are more like Jesus than them. Uh, so probably a lot of you know them already, uh, but if you don't, I would really encourage you to have a conversation with them, to have them over to your house for dinner or whatever it might be. Um, but they're just, uh, yeah, phenomenal family. And the work that they're doing, yeah, they love pizza. <laughs> yeah, Bruce makes some mean pizza. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the work that they're doing in Uganda is also incredible. Uh, if you, you know, want to know more about them, just get together with them. Ask them about that. Let them tell you about it. They'll really inspire you and encourage you a whole lot. Cool. Well, all right. Um, I would love to, you know, just kind of start by, um, you know, telling, telling you guys a little bit about my story. It is Memorial Day weekend, uh, so I'd love to just kind of, you know, remember um, for each one of us, give us all a little opportunity in our own hearts to remember what it was like when we first met Jesus, you know, and uh, just how that impacted our lives. And so I'm just going to share a little bit of my testimony, a little bit of how it led into the founding of the Ministry of Win the Saints. Um, I would like to just start with a question, and we're going to kind of come back to this question uh, toward the end of the message. Uh, but I just want to also leave you with, you know, just thinking about this question as I kind of share a little bit uh, about, you know, my life in the ministry. So this question is, if you were to find yourself at the gates of heaven right now in this moment, and Jesus is standing there at the gates of heaven, I don't necessarily think that this is what it's going to be like, but let's just say he's standing there with a clipboard, and he looks at you, and he asks you this question. He says, why should I let you into heaven? What would your answer be? Just right there in that moment, Jesus gives you a position, you know, uh, an opportunity to speak, and he wants you to answer. Why should I let you in? What would you go to as an answer? So again, I'm just going to leave you with that question. My um, hope this morning and my desire is that if there's any sense of fear when it comes to, you know, our understanding of the gospel or our, you know, sense of our own salvation, um, my hope this morning is that the Holy Spirit would just rid that from our hearts and pull that out of us uh, so that, you know, anything that we do for the glory of the kingdom of heaven is in no way motivated from a place of fear and can, you know, 
just embrace the perfect love of God so that that love casts out any fear that we have in our hearts, even when it comes to our own salvation. So we'll come back to that. <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, let me just share a little bit about uh, myself. I, when I was born, going back real early, my dad always says, uh, you know, David was born at a young age. <laughs> yeah. So my dad was actually uh, the pastor of a, a Baptist church. In the first three or four years of my life, he was originally the associate pastor. That church ended up planting another church that my dad kind of took over. And so obviously I was, you know, very young. I don't really remember anything about that. Um, but they always tell me that, you know, uh, he, was, he would be preaching on Sunday morning, so they would always tell me in the womb, you know, you can be born anytime, any time, any day of the week other than Sunday, you know, between 10 and 11 o'clock, because that's when your dad has to preach. And my mom walked into the hospital at 10 a.m., and I was born at 11. <laughs> so they're like, if this is any indication of the type of person that David's going to be, we're kind of scared, you know. <laughs> um, and let's see, my dad just kind of poured his life into this church plant, and again, about three or four years after it started, it ended up kind of crumbling and falling apart. And there was just a lot of gossip. There was a lot of, you know, uh, just animosity and, and just some fighting that that's, was stirred up in the church and just some disagreements. And it, it ended up causing, you know, this whole church to fall apart. And my dad, um, you know, by the time I started having memories of him. Um, a lot of it was just him totally emotionally exhausted and burned out and uh, sitting on the couch, watching TV, yelling at me, telling me to either do something or not do something. And, uh, you know, in, in some ways, that was a large part of my childhood, uh, just growing up feeling like I was a burden to my own father. And, uh, yeah, he didn't want me around. Very, you know, kind of emotionally absent, even though he was physically present. Um, just because of the way that he was so hurt, you know, by pouring himself into this church and then seeing it fail. Um, and so jumping forward into middle school, um, I remember just wrestling a lot with depression and suicidal thoughts and finding myself praying to God, asking him to um, take my life. And we, even though, you know, my dad was real burned out with church, we still continued as a family to attend church. Uh, I ended up giving my life to Jesus. I remember the moment, even though I was five years old, I remember in this program called Awana, sitting down with one of the leaders and <laughs> praying to ask Jesus into my heart. And uh, so, you know, we still had this belief in God as a family um, and me individually as well. So, yeah, around the age of, you know, really 12, 13, I just remember praying these real specific prayers. As I remember I was walking home from my friend's house in our neighborhood, and I would just pray things like, God, let this car driving by just veer off the road, slam into me, and you know, just take me to heaven. And I would really try to manipulate God and just say, you know, don't you want to be with me in heaven? Like, I really just want to go to heaven. Why can't we just kind of make this thing easy, give both of us what we really want right now, you know? Um, and it's just like I, I hate living here on earth, and I don't see any purpose, and it's just, you know, really miserable for me. Um, so, you know, sometimes just dozens of times a day, I'd fall asleep just pleading with God. I, I don't have the courage, or I don't know if that's the right word, but I just, I, I couldn't get myself to kill myself. 
um, because I knew that really it would hurt my mom a whole lot. And so that's, you know, kind of the thing that kept me, even though I thought about suicide all the time, uh, that's one of the big things that kept me from killing myself. And so uh, just again, jumping forward uh, a number of years into high school, about to graduate from high school, um, another significant event uh, happened in my life where uh, some people from another religion uh, started asking me, some friends of mine actually in high school, they started asking me all these questions about what I believed and then why I believed those things. And I was able to pretty much tell them the what of my beliefs. It's like, yeah, you know, I've, I've been to church enough times to know the, the answers, you know. Uh, but when it came to really a conviction and the reasoning behind, man, this is why I believe these things. You know, and these are even verses in this Bible um, that define and are the foundation of my beliefs. Um, I couldn't really express those, um, you know, to these friends of mine that we were having conversations with. And it kind of, uh, you know, it kind of messed me up. I thought, man, how can I really give my life to something when I don't really have strong reasons for believing these things? And I thought, I'm sure there are answers to these <laughs> questions. I just don't know them. So I told them, if there's any way we could talk in like a week or a month, <laughs> I'm going to do some research. You know, I'm going to read uh, this Bible that I claim to believe is the words of God written, you know, to me, to us. Uh, but I've only read, you know, maybe 10 maybe 15% of this Bible. Um, and so it kind of just sent me into this journey of seeking, um, you know, this, this understanding of the reasons behind why I believe what I believe. I read Genesis to Revelations in about five months, <laughs> my freshman year in college. And um, it just ignited this faith inside of me, you know, that wasn't just a faith that was cultural. I think it's so easy if we grow up in the church or if we've been going to church uh, for a long time, just to have this cultural Christianity where most of the people that we know are all Christians, and uh, we're never really challenged to understand, you know, the reasons behind the things that we believe. And most of my friends were Christians. I was just kind of a Christian because my parents were Christians, and they, you know, like had me grow up that way, uh, which there's obviously nothing wrong with that. Um, but there just comes a time in our own, you know, spiritual journey where it's so important for that faith to become our own. You know, and for us to own that, and for it not just to be something that, you know, is impressed upon us from our, our society, our culture, or whatever, the people around us. So, um, you know, just in the process of reading through Scripture, uh, something really stuck out to me, just as a main theme, as just kind of a thread that runs through Scripture, and I ended up actually reading back through the Bible a second time, a couple months later, and ended up highlighting every verse that I could find in every book in the Bible that that talked about God's heart for the oppressed, for the marginalized, those who are exploited, um, orphans and widows, and not just where he's explaining what his heart is, you know, toward the, the disadvantaged, um, the downtrodden in society, uh, but also verses that talked about, you know, how he just calls those who believe in him and those who love him to do things like defend and protect and rescue and maintain the rights of and speak up on behalf of those who don't have a voice. And um, it was so beautiful and so powerful because I ended up highlighting over 2,100 verses in 65 out of 66 books in the Bible. The only book that I couldn't find a verse that had to do with this theme was in the Song of Songs, <laughs> that romance you know, book. <laughs> and so 
uh, again, it just kind of set me on this journey um, to discover, you know, a couple things, just what are some of these, you know, major injustices in the world that, that we can, as followers of God, we can, you know, enter into and bring redemption and reconciliation and healing um, to, you know, these, this, these groups of people or individuals who are facing different traumatic exploitation, um, whatever it might be. And um, so, yeah, it really started to shape, you know, just the person that I was becoming in Jesus. And um, again, one other just significant event in my life was January of 2009. I'm 21 years old, and uh, my church does this teaching on the topic of fasting. So you guys know what fasting is? Yeah. Has anyone done a fast before? Yeah, a few people. Cool. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's just pretty much not eating anything <laughs> for, you know, a designated period of time. And two of my friends, after the first sermon about fasting, they come up to me and they say, David, you know, we're thinking about doing a, a fast, and we're actually going to try to fast for this three-week series, try to not eat any food for 24 hours a day for 21 days for the next three weeks. It's like, would you join us, you know? <laughs> and I had done a fast for, I think, three days, you know, and I felt like I was going to dwindle away and just pass out, you know? <laughs> uh, so I was thinking that there's no way that I could go 21 days without any food. But it's like, I'm up for a challenge. Even if I make it 10 days, you know, like, sure, let's just, you know, let's go for it. So uh, these two other guys and I, we would get together, you know, two, three times a week, just pray together, encourage one another. And uh, we ended up going 21 days without eating. One of the guys started drinking smoothies, which I think is kind of cheating because it's just blending up food, you know? <laughs> He's like, but I'm still drinking it, you know? <laughs> but yeah, we just, you know, we drank tea, uh, drank juices, and uh, for 21 days, didn't take a single bite of food. I lost about 31 pounds in three weeks. So, you know, that's a good motivation. I don't know. <laughs> no, I didn't really have much to lose, so uh, it, it was kind of creepy a little. <laughs> but um, I just remember on the 18th day, you know, I'm thinking like, I'm going to go to bed at nine o'clock at night so I can wake up at three o'clock in the morning on the 22nd morning and start eating again because it's going to finally be over. You know, I'm going to be able to eat food again. And I'm reading through the book of Luke. And I remember in chapter five, it talked about how Jesus would often go to lonely places and pray. And it was a little convicting because I was like, I don't really often go to lonely places just to spend time with Jesus. And then in chapter 6, it talked about how the night before Jesus chose his 12 disciples, he ended up staying up the whole night and just spent time in prayer with his father. Uh, and again, I was like, wow, not only do I not go to lonely places and pray for like 10 minutes, I couldn't imagine spending a whole night not sleeping and just spending time in prayer. Um, so I just kind of felt like the Holy Spirit was... Um, prompting me, convicting me um, to say, David, do you really want to do the easiest possible thing at the end of this time that you've committed to me? You know, is that what it's all about? Is it really just about getting out of the discomfort of not eating as fast as possible so that you can say, I fasted for 21 days, you know, I made it. Uh, <laughs> or is it about just having more of me and being with me? Woo, and so... <laughs> I just felt like he asked me, would you be willing to stay up the whole night on the 21st night of this fast and spend time with me? 
And so I entered into my basement at about 11.30 and stayed there till 6 in the morning and just did a series of reading scripture and journaling a whole lot and asking a bunch of questions. Mostly revolving around, God, what is the purpose that you have in mind for my life? Like, what is it that you've created me for? I'm 21 years old. I have no idea what I want to do with my life. Um, would you please show me? You know me way better than I know myself. And I could just go on this journey and try to, you know, test a few different occupations and see which one seems like a good fit. Or you could just communicate to me and say, David, you know, I've given you these gifts. I've given, I've given you this heart inside of you that breaks in very unique and specific ways. And the Holy Spirit manifests itself in you so that you can do things that aren't in your own strength, but you can do things in the strength of the Holy Spirit and be empowered with this authority uh, to be able to glorify my name in this world. And so I just said, Jesus, I would love it if you just led me into whatever it is that you have in mind for my life. So that was the kind of primary reason that I went into this evening, this night of prayer. And uh, just believe that through the course of that night, uh, the Lord communicated to me, and he told me uh, two main things. I believe that he said, David, I have created you to help see an end to sexual exploitation in the world. And he said, specifically, what I've created you for is to help disciple and mentor men, um, to help them walk in sexual integrity and get freedom from sexual addictions so that they're no longer, you know, dishonoring, exploiting um, members of the opposite sex. So I left that night, um, let's see, pretty scared. (laughs) Um, not really knowing what that would look like. It took a good year and a half of just kind of waiting on the Lord, continuing to go to college, changing, you know, my major <laughs> from, you know, nursing to uh, intercultural and urban missions. And uh, just saying, okay, I know that I'm going to do ministry with my life to some capacity. Ooh, man, growing up feeling like a burden to my father, I thought, I don't really feel like men want to be around me or men want to be my friend. And so I don't know why God would create me with the purpose of spending time with men. I don't really want to do that, but let's start with kind of focusing on helping, you know, maybe girls who have been sexually abused. We can start there. And so just kind of started exploring what that might look like. So, okay, now, you know, leaving um, just kind of a a bit of my testimony and moving into the ministry of Win the Saints that, um, you know, I believe the Lord has called me uh, to to start and and be the director of um, when the saints is you know just an organization that seeks to see an end to sexual exploitation and just bring the freedom of Jesus Christ into situations of sexual exploitation both uh, with girls who are being abused and also with men who are doing the oppression and the abuse um, and the country of Malawi came up in my life. There were six different, just seemingly random occurrences of this country. By the fourth one, I thought, man, I don't think this is a coincidence. <laughs> uh, you know, so by, you know, mid-2010, uh, my pastor was mentoring me and just said, I want to help you, you know, start an organization. And if there's anywhere in the world that you think uh, we might, you know, kind of start this, where would it be? And so I just said, man, I think the Lord might be calling me to this country in Malawi. We did a fundraiser. We did a bunch of research. We found every organization that was doing anything to, you know, kind of help 
girls who have been abused, children who have been abused, gender-based violence type of situations. And so we sent out all these emails, and we hear back from one person in the whole country of Malawi. And, uh, you know, she had founded the Malawi Human Rights Resource Center. And she said, yeah, if you come, I'd love to meet up with you. And so in March of 2011, we took our first trip to Malawi, my father and my pastor and I. Uh, Yeah, my father. (laughs) The Lord did a bunch of work, you know, to heal uh, the relationship between us and is continuing to do so. Um, And so we got to spend, you know, his first trip to Africa. uh, We got to spend some time in Malawi together. And we met up, you know, with this woman that contacted us. And we just said, man, we feel like the Lord is calling us um, to this country. And uh, we think that we might start by opening some kind of safe home uh, that would help do vocational training and trauma counseling for, you know, young girls who have been abused. Is that something that's needed in this country? Is there something like it already here that we could partner with and just add value to, something that's already here? And uh, I remember she leaned forward, her jaw dropped open, and she said, for the last 14 years of my life, I've been trying to build something exactly like that. And there's nothing in the whole country of Malawi uh, that does anything close to that. And I'll do whatever I can uh, to help you build this safe home. Because there's not a single one in the whole country. And so, you know, we went on to come back to the U.S. and started a 501c3 nonprofit, started doing fundraisers, and, um, you know, we're able to, in 2015, um, we were able to open the first long-term trauma counseling vocational training center for young girls who have been, you know, sexually abused, forced into prostitution in the country of Malawi, the whole country of Malawi, of 15 million people. Uh, you know, we have the, the first and only safe home there. And um, since 2015, we've had 33 girls go through our program and graduate. Currently, there are 20 girls living in the safe home <laughs> and two little babies. They're all ages 5 uh, to 15. <sighs> and it's just an outrageous um, honor. Uh, to be a part of something. That has such a purpose. We started to find out that in this small community of about 16,000 people that we were working in, that has the highest ratings of gender-based violence because it's in between two tobacco auction floors, the main tobacco auction floors of the country. 71% of the country's income comes in through the sale of tobacco. And uh, so it's just known as this community that's primarily all these hotels. And tens of thousands of farmers between the months of March and September come. They dehydrate their tobacco. They sell it. And they have more money, you know, than they normally have throughout the year. They're away from their families. And so it just has this reputation of being the place that grown men go to abuse young girls. And so we, just with our conversations and kind of doing research, we're constantly pointed to this one community. And so that's where, you know, we started. We met the senior chief of this community. He said, in no way am I proud that this community has this reputation. I'll do whatever I can um, to help change that. So he gifted the ministry of Win the Saints 11.2 acres, about nine football fields worth of land completely for free. (laughs) Just like three minutes outside of the community where we've been able to build this safe home. And I won't go into all the details. I know I'm kind of telling the story. But yeah, obviously tonight at 6, there's an hour-long documentary that, you know, is going to be screened if you guys kind of want to come and see more of, you know, the gaps as I'm just kind of jumping, like summarizing the story. Uh, you're more than welcome to come, you know, tonight and see that documentary. Um, but 
again, just as we were working in this community and seeing these girls come out of these abusive situations, we really believe that the Holy Spirit helped us to understand that if we only focus on helping girls, you know, come out of these abusive situations, there would be the same number of men that are wanting to abuse the same number of girls. And so indirectly through the success of our ministry, we could be creating this void, this empty, empty, these empty positions where traffickers would just go to villages and then bring more girls to fill that void that we created. Girls who wouldn't have otherwise been abused all of a sudden, as a result, indirectly of our ministry, are now being abused. And that was a tragedy to us. And so the Holy Spirit started opening up our hearts and our eyes and our minds to the reality that the gospel of Jesus is one of a love of our enemy. And that while we were, <laughs> while we were in, you know, just rebellion against God, running away from him, uh, trying as hard as we could to make ourselves our gods. Um, he pursued us in our rebellion, and he laid down his life for us while we were still sinning. So while we were his enemy, you know, 1 John 3.16 says, the only reason that we know what love is is because Jesus laid his life down for us, and then it invites us to lay our lives down for one another in the same way that Jesus laid his life down for us as we were his enemy. So we kind of started you know, asking these really tough questions. What does it look like to love someone who's sexually abused a child? And what does it look like to speak the identity that they you know, that the children of a creator, you know, over them, to set them free from their own enslavement and their own abuse um, from this evil, you know, entity that is enslaving them and forcing them, um, you know, to try to fill this emptiness inside of them with the abuse of, of innocence. Uh, what does that look like to help bring freedom to them and help see that men who do oppression are no less worthy of a free gift of grace, you know, that Jesus has offered to each one of us? So um, it's still relatively new, but we've explored a number of different areas and experimented with a number of different ways that we can do outreaches to men with incredible response. <laughs> we had uh, just kind of this first experimental outreach to men and had a free dinner in this hotel that's right at the end of this street that they call Devil Street. And uh, we just said, we feel like the Lord is calling us to start here. Um, you know, because 1 Corinthians talks about how God has chosen those who are poor, you know, in the eyes of the world, those, the unlearned things, uneducated things, um, the things that are not, you know, to nullify the things that are and to shame the wise and to shame the strong. And so, you know, he's, he's really picked those things of this world that are despised, people that are despised um, to bring the kingdom of heaven into earth. And so, you know, we went into this hotel uh, just this rusty, nasty gate, and we did this, um, you know, uh, just hour-long class, and out of the seven men that came to our first outreach, we saw four of them get down on their faces in tears and say that they wanted Jesus to give them a new heart. <laughs> and so it's just been, uh, again, it's been a blast uh, to be able to then, you know, work on bringing these men into these discipleship classes where they can find out what their identity is in Jesus and get set free from 
the ways that they were enslaved and the ways that oppression was actually robbing them of their own humanity, you know, and their own dignity. So, woo! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just the only true sustainable solution, you know, and seeing an end to things like sexual exploitation and injustice in the world is uh, when the hearts of the oppressors, you know, are set free and when the hearts of men are transformed by the gospel and they're no longer doing the oppression. Because then we can believe that maybe one day there won't be a need to just do vocational training and counseling for girls who have been victimized, but we'll be able to see, see that there's no longer girls being abused because the, you know, the people aren't abusing them anymore. And so that's just what you know, the Lord has called us to. Woo! <laughs> cool. Well, um, just have a little bit, you know, more time. Again, I just want to come back to that initial question and just preach for, you know, maybe 10 minutes, if that works, um, and just finish out there. So, again, you guys remember the question that I started with, just, you know, what would your answer be if the Lord asked you, why should I let you into heaven? And um, I just want to you know, challenge you guys, encourage you guys. I think the majority of our answers, even as Christians um, sitting in church on a Sunday morning, would just our initial reaction would be to try to explain all the things that we do that we think are good. You know, it's like, man, I've tried really hard, Jesus. I go to church, you know, I pray when I can, like I read scripture. You know, we would just have this long list of things that we think we've tried to do in order to make ourselves good enough to be worthy of entering into heaven. I think it would be the vast majority of the answers of people all across the world. They would just go and say, you know, we've done this, and we've done this, and we've done this, and we tried really hard, and, you know, we tried not to do these things that we thought were bad, and we've tried to do these things that are good, and so would you please, you know, let us into heaven. Uh, I, I'm really hoping that I've been good enough to be worthy of going to heaven. Uh, and there's a lot of fear associated with that. Now, what if I haven't been good enough? What if I've done something so bad that Jesus can't forgive it? What if he doesn't let me in, you know? And so we end up doing a lot of things uh, in our everyday lives that are all motivated from a place of fear. And I just believe that Jesus' desire is for something so much better and so much different um, well, we can be motivated by love and we don't have to try to do all of these things and serve these people in a way that is really just taking advantage of them because it's like, I don't really care about you. I just want to do this good thing to help you so that it benefits me so that I can go to heaven. Um, and instead, just be able to serve someone from a place of love and from a place of self-sacrifice, the way that Jesus sacrificed for us. And so, again, I would just encourage you if your answer in your thoughts, in your mind was, you know, this list of things. Um, I just challenge you uh, to say that. <laughs> you know, the answer I think that Jesus is looking for is, Jesus, if it was up to me, you know, for like you to let me into heaven, there would be absolutely no reason, no reason whatsoever that I would have any, anything to stand on for you to let me in. But for some reason, you know, you came to earth and you paid the price of your life to redeem me, to cover me with all of your righteousness, and you cleansed me 
of, <laughs> of my sinful state. And that would be the only reason why I would have any hope of entering into a place where only perfection dwells. I just think that's, you know, the heart that Jesus desires for us. To just value him and love him and see how, how you know, important he is in our lives and how much we need him and that we have no other hope other than him to do anything good, to be worthy of uh, dwelling in perfection, dwelling in the presence of God, and that we would just see how, man, how much it would be so incredible just to spend eternity in the presence of God. You know, that that would be our only desire. It's like, man, I just want more of you. That you would save me, that you would sacrifice your own son. Like, I love you so much. Right now on earth, I want, I want more of you. I want to live a life that brings the kingdom of heaven to earth and glorifies the name of Jesus so that when I die, I can just get to spend eternity with you. And if I got nothing else, it wouldn't matter. Just like that song, you know, Jesus is better than anything else. So uh, I'd love to just um, kind of end with a story. Um, when I was, again, a senior in high school, um, I had this assignment where I had to write this paper, and we just had to do kind of a more or less a, a biography of, you know, just some historical figure. And so we were given a list of names, and as I was reading through it, I saw Abraham Lincoln's name. And so I thought, oh, that sounds cool. You know, he was a part of ending slavery, you know, in the U.S., and so I'd love to learn more about Abraham Lincoln. And I remember in my research, I you know, found this story about Abraham Lincoln in this book. And so I'd love to just share this story with you and kind of end um, with this story because for me, it's, it's really um, just a story that has helped me understand what the gospel is more than, you know, uh, anything else, really. Um, just seeing this example of, of what Abraham Lincoln did in this situation. He was um, walking through a small community, and um, he came across... Uh, an actual slave auction. So there was a stage set up, and there were human beings being sold. They were chained up, and um, there were, you know, a big crowd of people, mostly farmers, that were placing bids on these individuals to purchase them uh, so that they could own them as property, and they could use them to, you know, do the majority of the farming on their property so that they could profit um, from their enslavement. And, um, on the stage, there was a young girl, it said. There was an, a girl, she was probably the age of 14 or 13, and um, Abraham Lincoln was really moved, and uh, he was brokenhearted. And so he actually, do you know what he did? <laughs> he um, participated in the slave auction, and he ended up bidding and purchasing this 13-year-old girl. And um, it said that the equivalent of the money that he spent was probably close to about $15,000, you know, of modern-day funds if it would have been, you know, uh, in today's society. So he spent a significant amount of money uh, to purchase this young girl. And um, it talked about how this girl at the end of the auction came up to him, and she had chains on her wrists, and she had chains on her ankles, and she looked up at him, and she asked him, what is it that you will be having me do? And... Um, he looked down at her and it says, I want you to do whatever it is that you want to do. 
and she was kind of confused because she thought, okay, this guy just spent a ton of money, I'm sure. You know, I can only imagine her thinking, <laughs> like, wait a minute. I think you maybe misunderstood my question. Uh, so she asked him again, you know, what is it that you would have me do? I can wash clothes. I can, you know, cook you food. I can work in, in your, your farm if you want me to. Uh, but what is it that you'll, you'll have me be doing? That's your slave. And um, it says that, you know, he got down on his knee and he took this key and started unlocking his, her chains. And he just said to her, I want you to do whatever it is that you want to do. And so... Um, this girl turned around and she started looking out. And again, I can only imagine, you know, she's just thinking, wait a minute, you know, I've been enslaved my whole life. I was born into slavery. I've never really been able to say, you know, this is the decision of what I want to do today. It's always been forced upon me. Um, and, you know, thinking like, wow, I could just run and play, you know, ball with kids my age, you know, like I can just live however I want to live and do whatever it is that I want to do. And again, I can only imagine that in her thoughts, um, based on her response, that she's thinking, man, if this man was willing to sacrifice so much for me and spend so much money to, to just set me free from my slavery and let me do whatever it is that I want to do, then he must love me a whole lot. So he turned and said, so you're telling me I can just do whatever it is that I want to do. I could run and just play, you know, with with kids my age, and he said, yep, you're free to do whatever it is that you want to do. And she looked up at him, and her response was this. She said, if I can do whatever it is that I want to do, then what I want to do is I want to follow you wherever it is that you want to, wherever it is that you go, and I want to do whatever it is that you want me to do. And so he said, all right, let's go. And so she started following him. And, um, Again, for me, this just um, showed me an example of what I believe the gospel is like, you know, and what Jesus' uh, interaction with us is like. And the book of 1 Corinthians, I believe it's in chapter 6, and talks about how, you know, do you not know that you have been bought with a high price? You know, Jesus paid the price with his life to purchase your freedom. And it even talks about, Paul says, Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. So essentially, he's saying you can do whatever it is that you want to do. Like you've been freed. Your freedom has been purchased. And it's just so beautiful that we can look to Jesus and say, and if you purchase my freedom with this high price, you must love me a whole lot. And so whatever it is that you ask me to do, whatever it is that you want from me and my life, I know that it must be rooted in this place of you being, you know, an incredibly loving father uh, to care for me. And you know that it's what is best for me. And so I just, I want to follow you wherever you go. And I want to do whatever it is that you want me to do. And so I just want to leave you with that. <sighs> Just allow the Holy Spirit to move on you and set you free from any, any position of fear that you have in your heart. And again, I thank you so much for letting me come and share with you.